0: LGBTQ friendly to sports Vinyl to gutter punk MutinyRadio.fm Has the best programming The internet ocean has to offer ya I bet my peg leg on it Or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat Ha
2: special ingredients are made from scratch daily including beans ketchup mustard habanero sauce and ranch dressing counter offer even serves vegan mac and cheese all of this great food is served 2 p.m to 10 pm daily and until 11 p.m on Wednesday Thursday and Friday counter offer is located inside Bender's bar and grill at 806 South Venice be sure to tell them mutiny sent you counter offer baby oh, to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things.
3: Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF
4: Yeah, I might even share. Black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. (laughs) All on my limited view. Yes. Every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, Oh, you can if you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. And Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said that. Tune in radio. Uh, Stitcher. You said that. Spotify. Oh, my God. There's just so many. And Overcast. Um, Yes, you can also find us on social media. M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter. Podcast, MOV Podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. 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 That kind of sucked balls.
5: <laughs> it's a cash conk, honey.
6: Pilly <laughs> yeah. Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit.
3: Radio listener, it's that time of year again. March 1st through 5th, it's time for the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Over 40 comics, 25 shows, five days, all here at Mutiny Radio 2781 21st Street at Florida Street. 25 shows, five days. Amazing comics from all over the United States here in San Francisco to entertain you
7: Felt so marvellous I hate this place. place. It smells of men and death.
8: sing like stone
9: Weekly Review! Pardon the really quick introduction there. Uh, This is Roman. Thanks for tuning in to the Weekly Review. We just heard from Keith Brown, and as many folks know, the Oakland teachers are on strike. went on strike yesterday, starting Thursday. So, um, sending lots of love and support out to all the teachers there and folks on strike and people supporting them and hopefully we'll have some more information on this program today as we join thanks to the anti-police terror project they have uh, they posted this video and we're i originally planned I'm going to take a good breath I had some coffee this morning wired okay so originally i there's another video i was looking for and Initially, sometimes like mainstream media, like I try to avoid them because I don't trust them. And also, they have a very biased point of view. So I was really looking more for uh, independent and grassroots uh, folks who have recorded people speaking, as opposed to the newscaster speaking their perspective. I really wanted to hear from the people themselves who were speaking. And I had found something, I believe, yesterday. And uh, still uh, looking for it. Ooh, great. Uh, here's a little bit more here. Thanks again to the Anti-Police uh, Terror Project, whom you can follow on Twitter, which is at uh, A-P-T-P action, so I'm going to play a little bit more, also start off the show, I'm going to slow down with my talking. I'm going to calm down. Also, thanks so much for listening. You're listening to Meet New Radio. We're broadcasting live from San Francisco. We're on Ohlone land. Um, Thank you so much for for tuning in. We have a guest coming in later today, uh, Shahid Buttar. Really much looking forward to hearing from him. Uh, Lots of really inspirational things to talk about, so that's really good. And also, while I have it here in front of me, there's there's only so much we can get to um, within the two hours that we're here. And there's a lot to talk about and a lot of information to share. I definitely want to share information and also go over some news stories that are uh, honestly depressing and frustrating and in some ways not surprising because this is the world that we're living in and folks who are aware of that recognize this. However, we'll be getting to those stories in a little bit, but also wanted just to remind folks that on Saturday, March 9th at noon, there's going to be a San Francisco March and Rally Hands Off Venezuela. So I wanted to read some information um, about this so folks can participate and or tell folks who are able. No coup, no war, no sanctions. Join us March 9th for a march and rally against the. Ugh, oh, I hate him. 45's administration. Uh, they're. Ugh, oh, oh, gross. Ugh, oh, okay. It's just a natural reaction I have. Okay, and that's the whole administration, by the way, I have to them. Okay, oh, I'm going to get through the sentence. I am going to get through the sentence. Ugh, oh, ugh, oh, just fucking disgusting. Okay. Okay, against the administration's effort to, and also, before I finish the sentence, I'm also just gonna recognize that previous administrations have also caused coups in other places, and so it's not just limited to this previous administration. I have a lot of nasty feelings about previous administrations too. So, wanting to put that out there. Okay, I'll continue. Join us on March 9th for a march and rally against 45's administration's effort to engineer a coup in Venezuela and a new devastating war there. The aggressive policy against Venezuela repeats the ugly pattern of war for regime change in the oil-rich countries of Iraq and Libya. National Security Advisor John Bolton ugh, I'm not actually spinning because I don't want to spit on the board, but I feel the need to spit when I read that person's name, is reading from the same script declaring a tro-, quote-unquote troika of tyranny in Latin America, like fuckface excuse me, George W. Bush, uh, his access of evil, as a precursor Cursor for regime change, first in Venezuela and then Cuba and Nicaragua, 45 officials are openly talking about seizing Venezuela's vast oil reserves, the largest in the world. It is time to show up and with a clear voice say no to the newest example of the quote-unquote uh, yeah, in quotes, uh, Monroe Doctrine, which the U.S. government has used for over two centuries to repeatedly invade Latin America and Caribbean, control its politics, and extract its resources. The White House aims to overthrow the government of President Nicolas Maduro and replace him with Juan Guaido. Guaido is a U.S.-trained operative who was unknown to the vast majority of Venezuelans before he proclaimed himself president at VP and... I'm running out of expletives to use, but I'm thinking a lot of thoughts. Ugh. Pence. Ugh. So angry. I get. I'm so angry about Mike Pence and have been for years that uh, I was at a. I don't go to baseball games too often, but I was at a baseball game and there's a player on the Giants whose last name is Pence, and I saw the a jersey a fan was wearing and I got really angry. I get that angry when I see the word Pence. So gross can't listen to six pence none the richer it's a british band it's a joke i could probably listen to them anyway moving on i'm trying to find humor in the fact that there are people in positions of power who are causing great harm to millions of people around the world that's one of my coping mechanisms okay moving on i will finish reading this flyer Fuckface. face i call them all fuckfaces. faces that's i need to be maybe i should come up with some more men with horrible behavior that's limited description, but that's who they are. Okay. Okay. Oh, at VP Pence's urging. (laughs) See, I couldn't even finish the sentence because I get so angry. Ah. Although Guaido has the backing of 45, the CIA and the Republican and Democratic Party leaderships alike, huge numbers of Venezuelans have marched to reject this coup and defend their independence. Uh, Learn the truth behind the U.S. attacks study group on Venezuela. Okay. This happened previously. Um, That was February 16th. But the the event, the March and the Rally, is coming up on Saturday, March 9th at noon. And that's at UN Plaza on 7th and Market in San Francisco. This is put on by the Answer Coalition. You can follow them on Twitter, at Answer Coalition, or go to answersf.org. They also have a phone number, 415-821-6545. The San Francisco action will be held in conjunction with the National March on Washington on March 16th. Initial signers of the march, there's a lot of groups and individuals who are all signed up and supporting this march as well and i'd imagine if you go to the website for the answer coalition they'll have much more info as well and also if you're interested in learning more about venezuela on the i think it was yesterday yeah, well, it's been a long week it's been a really long year already however i know we're only in february however oh if you go to last week's podcast you can check it out at MutantRadio.fm. there's a podcast archive um i played a uh, teach-in about Venezuela. I learned a whole lot by going there and listening to folks speak. So, if you're interested in learning more and uh, sh- also having conversations with people and helping educate each other, I recommend checking that out. Again, it's last week's episode. Also now, we're um, not only are we on iTunes and the Mutiny Radio website, but we're also on Stitcher. So, if you have the Stitcher app, you can find us. It's all the weekly review, all one word. Again, uh, didn't plan it that way. That's how it happened. We'll change it, maybe make any promises but if you would like to listen on another platform that is also possible so here we have a, another brief video snippet from folks who are speaking um from the oakland teacher strike again if you follow uh, anti-police terror project on twitter at aptp action they posted this video so thank you for them for sharing that and uh yeah we're gonna play this video and then we'll be back
4: teacher at so grateful to be standing on the lines with you, thinking with you standing for our kids and our communities. We just heard some joy about how we say no to billionaires, and we're going to hear from an amazing speaker, Manny Lopez, who is an educator who fought the cold location of a charter school and is currently teaching at Global Family Elementary School. Please give a warm welcome to one of our fighters on the ground, Manny Lopez.
9: Okay. And again, I apologize. These are just snippets. So I'm going to look for a little bit more audio if we are able to find it so I can share that with you all. Uh, Also, Unicorn Riot, which is a much more independent news source, has some info as well. And I'm going to check out their site right now to see if there's any more audio I can share with you all because I think it's really important to hear from the teachers themselves uh, as opposed to, again, the corporate media's perception of it. And they have an article uh here as okay we've got some youth uh photos of some students here and see if we can get some audio on this to play it's about 20. Get get get
7: get get-
9: oh i am gonna start crying that's beautiful uh i, I whenever i get or not whenever. Oftentimes, if I do get discouraged or distressed, I do see all the young people out there, and it makes me feel really encouraged. So, sending lots of love and solidarity to all the folks out there on strike. And there was an article recently that was, ooh, another clip. Great. Um, it's about 12 seconds. Okay. Uh, that in 2000, 2018 there was just uh, more strikes. I think in 2018 than there had been in previous decades, possibly. Um, don't quote me on that. I know it's a radio show, and one should... End. I'm going to go find the article so I can read some more information, but there definitely was a lot of the teachers. Also, the teachers in West Virginia, again, went on strike, and they went on strike again so quickly that they, their demands were met before the strike really had a lot of time to... This is their second one. So, lots of teachers are organizing. Uh, just really grateful for all the folks who are organizing. That's great. and That's how change happens, through strikes and boycotts and riots. It's really people coming together as opposed to electing one single person to somehow solve the problems of capitalism, which obviously doesn't seem to work very well. So just sending lots of love and support to all the folks out there. So let's let's hear this, it's like about 12 seconds. And this was shared by uh, Ryan Gilly, who's at underscore hawk, hawk underscore I. And this is the Oakland teacher strike day two, Glenview Elementary showing up strong. Let's see. Schools. Okay, and yes, as I mentioned, it was a pretty, pretty short clip here. Um, but there's lots of folks who are going out on strike and in support and the picket lines. And also uh, yesterday, uh, Great Theater, uh, the Grand Lake Theater in in Oakland, had $1 screenings of Black Panther and Ralph breaks the Internet um, in honor to you know for folks who are on strike, just away, for folks. Things that folks can do and in the meantime. And there's a Fruitvale Elementary. We got some folks here, some music. We'll play this. And this was also shared by APTP. If you're interested in following uh, me on Twitter, you can do so at Roman, R-O-M-A-N, R-I-M-E-R. I I mostly share uh, articles and video from other folks, so try to share as much as I'm able to. And I'm just scrolling right now. Got some more kiddos here. (laughs) 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 Got kids with signs. And that was shared by at uh, p r o f e b a e. That's from Markham Elementary School. So lots of students out there supporting the teachers. Lots of parents out there. Here's another video. And okay. Oops. And lots of folks carrying a banner that says, fund our public schools, the heart of our community. And that was shared by Michelle Dion, at Shell Dion. And that was the current march chant, get up, get down. Oakland is a union town.
7: Is a union
9: and W. Kamau Bell has yeah. also shared some video. So hopefully with these audio clips, I know they're, they're short, um, but just seeing at how many places in Oakland are in support of the teachers and uh, just, yeah, sending lots of love and support out there. folks. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay, so this was also a clip. Uh, The teachers are saying, students, students, what do you see? And the children are responding, I see my teachers standing up for me. (sighs) Sometimes on the show I want to cry, and it's because I'm reading articles that make me so sad for the world. And then there are instances like this that are just so beautiful. So (sighs) I think that's really incredible. All right, we're going to take another music break. I'm going to wipe my eyes a little bit. I uh, often ask for music requests, so I think we've got some music requests. I also opened up the show with a band I hadn't heard from before. And this is a band called Tongue, which is uh, T-U-N-N-G. And this was from the album Songs You Make at Night. And they have a band camp. You can check them out. And going into the requests here, uh, Shirley has requested some songs by Yuna, who we played on the show, I think, back in 2014. It's been a while. So starting off with a cover of Come As You Are. And we'll be getting into some more music and we'll be joined by our guests later on in the program. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Weekly Review. That was Yuna with Rescue. And before that, Yuna's cover of Come As You Are. Doing a uh, plug for a show that's up right now in New York. So if you're in the New York area, please do check out this great show. It's called Am I a Man? It's featuring uh, the best of San Francisco Fringe Award Winner, Dazier Grego Sykes, A Story of Pride and the Violence That Transforms Sissies into Their Own Kinds of Men. And the following dates it's happening, which is tomorrow, February 23rd at 3.20 p.m. Tuesday at February 26th at 5.30 p.m., Sunday, March 3rd at one fifty p.m., Thursday, March 7th at 5.30 p.m., and Saturday, March 9th at 8.20 p.m. It's at the Crane Theater at 85 East 4th Street in New York. For tickets, check out daziegrego.com, and that's D-A-Z-I-E-G-R-E-G-O.com. It's uh, $20 for tickets, uh, $12 discount tickets for students, military, and seniors with ID. So again, please check out the show if you are able Okay. Next up, um, I don't think I've ever been able to make it through a show without reading a depressing news story. Uh, Maybe... I think there have, there have been times when you know I've had guests in for the entire two hours, and I don't get a chance to read articles. And um, however, it's really important just to talk about what's actually happening, especially locally. And there's a story from the Examiner that came out uh, last Friday. Uh, this came out earlier this week. Report: Nearly 400 people have died homeless on San Francisco streets since 2016. And the folks at the Coalition on Homelessness say that that's a, actually that that estimates a little bit under what the reality is. Uh, this was written by. Joshua Sabatini, and this came out on February 21st. Many of the homeless who die on San Francisco streets have little contact with city shelters or services for mental health or substance use in the years before their deaths, according to a new city report. The findings on the three-year homeless death report, which was presented to the Health Commission Tuesday night, show the need for the city to do more to reach out to those who are not engaged in services, according to the report's author, Dr. Barry Zevin. Zevin, who provides medical care to the homeless for the Department of Public Health, has worked for the past several years to improve the city's imprecise method for measuring homeless deaths as previously reported by the San Francisco Examiner. His new report takes a deeper dive into medical examiner cases to better ascertain who was homeless and provides additional details about the deaths such as causes and demographics. There are 128 homeless deaths in both 2016 and 2017, while in 2018, the count was at least 135. More cases from last year are expected to be reported in the coming months. There was a concentration of deaths in the Civic Center, Tenderloin, Soma, and Mission, but these deaths occurred all over the city, Zevin told the Health Commission. Drugs like uh, methamphetamine... Or opioids caused or contributed to 52% of the deaths, while alcohol caused or contributed to 32% of the deaths. Nearly 70% of the homeless residents who have died since 2016 had not stayed in a shelter or navigation center in the 12 months before their death. Most people had no had no stay, not even a single night in a shelter or navigation center in the past 12 months. And even if we go back to past years, many of those people had a very scant had very scant shelter or navigation center use. Zevin said, 42% had been homeless for more than a decade, the report said. San Francisco has a relatively high number of homeless deaths per capita, Zevin said, that while New York City has about double the number of deaths, its homeless population is about 10 times larger. There are likely many reasons for San Francisco's uh, proportionately, dramatically larger number of deaths, but New York City's law requiring everyone have right to shelter is likely one factor, Evan said. We don't currently have the capacity to shelter everyone who needs to be sheltered, he said. He also highlighted that many of those who died were not engaged in city services. Although we talk a lot about high users of multiple systems, most of the people here had very little use in our emergency and urgent systems. And we're even less in our primary care, mental health, and substance use disorder treatment systems, he said. Zevin recommended the city improve alcohol treatment services, a system that may not be put together in such a way to reach the highest risk individuals. Deanna Lawn of the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium said she hoped the report would change the way the city prioritizes housing, citing a lack of coordination between our housing opportunities, which I know are very limited, and people's health status. Lon said that those treating the homeless are frustrated that no matter how they evaluate the person's care, it doesn't seem to affect their ability to eventually get into some kind of housing situation. Fixing this, she said, will hopefully avoid some of the preventable deaths here. All right. we got a call coming in, so I'm just gonna take that one moment, please. Hello, Mutiny Radio.
10: Hi, is this Roman? Hi, yes. Hi, thanks hey, for calling in. Good, thanks. Right on. How is the um? How's the background noise here?
9: Um, sounds it sounds pretty sound pretty clear right now.
10: Okay, I'm on Market Street, but I kind of ducked into the like alcove in front of the Orpheum Theater, so I think it's a little bit soundproof.
9: Okay, yeah, it sounds great. Okay. So, right she, yeah, thanks for calling in. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself and, uh, yeah, tell the listeners what's what's going on with you.
10: Word. Uh, my name's Shahid Buttar. I'm a uh, uh, soon-to-be publicly declared candidate for public office here in San Francisco. I'm going to be challenging Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi Yay. Uh, in the 2020 Democratic primary. Excellent.
9: Uh, well, there's definitely a lot of things to challenge her on, to put it uh, mildly. <laughs>
10: Indeed, yeah. Thanks. I feel like this is a time when uh, there are a great many crises confronting our country, and we would hope that our elected leaders would be uh, up to the challenge. Yes. Um, and you know, unfortunately, for better or worse, I dare say worse. Uh, you know, several generations have been have, have proven themselves not to be.
9: Yes, indeed. So, what inspired you to, um, for our listeners out there, what inspired you to get involved?
10: A couple things. One of them certainly was Bernie's 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, I'd been asked to run for office for almost 20 years now, ever since I graduated from law school uh, from Stanford. I went to D.C. to uh, help build the movement for peace and justice while I was uh, starting a law practice, um, pursuing a whole bunch of public interest projects related to issues like getting money out of politics and securing marriage equality for same-sex couples, which at the time was uh, very far from uh, accepted in the political mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, and I saw in Bernie's campaign success in a campaign building a movement there's so much of electoral politics has always seemed to me like a racket and frankly having run for office in one cycle before that only reinforced that impression yes uh, that notwithstanding though I saw Bernie help the movement through his campaign not only by shifting the discursive window and normalizing a set of previously uh, dismissed policies that now have been uh, gained credibility by virtue of his, right. embracing them in his advocacy. And I also saw him mobilize, electrify, and organize a base. And that in particular uh, was an example that I found inspiring, uh, one that I wanted to try to emulate. Mm-hmm. And frankly, as I see us confront a entrenched incumbent, recognizing that it will be a very steep climb, the opportunity to organize and mobilize and inspire a base that can go on to do all of the various things that it can beyond our campaign, uh, you know, both issues uh, maybe that our campaign isn't uh, necessarily working on, like, uh, but also beyond, temporally, the life of the campaign. Uh, you know, seeing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez win in uh, Brooklyn, to me, seemed to some extent a reflection of Bernie's influence mm-hmm. and inspiration and organizing. and. Uh, you know whether through the lens of a tactical victory like taking the seat from the incumbent speaker uh, or a strategic victory in the form of uh, seeing our supporters go on to do uh, inspiring and world-changing things. I'm very assured that we will win something. I'm curious to see just how much and, and uh, how broadly that victory goes.
9: Yeah. So uh, what are some issues that you're passionate about?
10: At the top of our platform mm-hmm. in 2020 is the Green New Deal. I am very concerned about the climate crisis confronting our species and the complete inability of our political sphere uh... to respond given its neutralization and co-optation by fossil fuel extraction companies um, Embedded are a couple different issues it's both climate justice and political process reform because as long as we have a political system that is driven by corporate money we can predict outset that we won't be able to respond meaningfully to the climate crisis mm-hmm. uh, so that's, that's one set of issues that very deeply inspires me. My very first legal case, uh, after I graduated law school, was uh, related to getting money out of politics. There was a law that had passed Congress uh, in the years just before, this was 2003, mm-hmm. the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, known in some circles as McCain-Feingold. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, had, it had aimed to take corporate soft money out of elections, Yes, and the Federal Election Commission, Started basically a campaign to eviscerate that law and undermine it by uh, issuing permissive regulations that the law, uh, frankly, had been passed by Congress to strengthen. And uh, I was representing the House co sponsors of that act, um, Shays and Meehan, Chris Shays and Marty Meehan. Mm-hmm. And we won that case before the DC Circuit Court of Appeals, upholding aspects of the Campaign Reform Act. Uh, this was six years before the Supreme Court in the Citizens United decision basically destroyed everything that I spent that phase of my career working on. Mm. Uh, so I've, I've spent a long time trying to get money out of politics. I've watched its intrusion, its reintrusion, I should say. I can tell a fascinating story about Senator Feingold, who was one of the Senate co-sponsors yeah. of that bill. But, yeah. uh, we can save that for uh, a minute, but yeah, that, so those are some issues I'm really passionate about. Medicare for All is another. Uh, the peace and justice movement and aligning, aligning our foreign policy with human rights yes. is a Long-standing interests of in mine, I've been a direct action activist in the peace and justice movement now for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, police violence and civil rights, for the last 10 years, I've been particularly focused on surveillance of marginalized communities by local police, mm-hmm. as well as their federal counterparts. Uh, and the. I don't want to describe that as a threat to privacy. I see that as a threat to democracy. Yes, yes. Uh, in the same way that I see climate you know, the climate crisis is a threat to the continued existence of human life on earth. You know, it's uh, these crises confronting our communities that, that are, and the need for us to better respond to them that's driving me to pursue this.
9: Yes. Well, there's there's a lot right there. <laughs> Sorry for talking your ear off. Oh, there. no, no. It's, oh, no, no. That's why you're you're, that's why you're, you're here calling in. I mean, it was more of a, a comment on there's so much that's in place right now, or at least seems in place by people in positions of power, that there's so much to fight back against or to correct in a way.
10: Mm. Yes, yeah. We, one of the things I hear you saying, and I think you're right, is that it's not just a single policy or even any set of policies that we need to combat. It is, in effect, an entire paradigm yes. that we need to change.
9: Yes indeed. Oh, and also just seeing how everything is connected, certainly, with you know, with state violence certainly, and with policing yep. and prisons and in corporations and how they're all in it together.
10: Absolutely. There's a book by Michelle Alexander, the New Jim Crow, that for mm-hmm. me was very informative about some of the intersections that amplify the injustices of our criminal legal system. And, you know, the fact that it's not just police violence with impunity, it's not just racial profiling, it's not just biased sentencing, and it's not just the creation of a racial caste system, it's all of those things feeding on each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you add to the mix a pervasive lack of transparency and lack of accountability that encourages Police misconduct. Yeah, I was robbed by police in Chicago in the late '90s. Ugh. Basically, mugged by a gang of cops outside my apartment with all of my housemates. Uh, and it was, you know, an interesting reflection as a young person to encounter what our public servants are up to. Right, right. I should thank them for making it overt. But uh, it was a uh, an early lesson for me in in, in institutional corruption. Yes, uh, and, and and certainly a formative experience and. in in, in baking into my view a critique of power.
9: Yes. Well, it's really important that, you know, these voices that your voices and and voices like this are are out there and people have, because I think I would imagine more people than not have had negative experiences with police. I mean, at least in my circles, that's kind of a a recurring theme.
10: I think that's right. I mean, the only people I think who have positive experiences with police are people who enjoy various privileges. Yes. uh, That inhibit the police from Acting uh, arbitrarily, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, it shouldn't be the privilege of some people that prevents arbitrary state action. It should be law and norms and accountability and policy right, uh, right. That, that should, you know, extricate it from a calculus on the part of any police department as to how much privilege this particular person has. Yes. Um, but yes, I, I, I think you're absolutely right as to the the need for. Uh, for new voices, I just came from this morning. I was uh, at Senator Feinstein's office with the Sunrise Movement, mm. uh, which was there at a, uh, holding an action to promote the Green New Deal, and I was so inspired, particularly by a series of young people, and I mean very young, like 10 and 12 years old, mm. who spoke very forcefully with such moral clarity, and honestly, it was generationally shaming to me Yes. Uh, as just someone of a generation that has been so ineffective in, um, in challenging the long-standing domination mm-hmm. by fossil fuel extraction companies of our political process, and, and particularly hearing them and their message for Senator Feinstein yes. felt like a wake-up call. You know, when we need 10-year-olds to remind our elected leaders what their jobs are, right? something is wrong.
9: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, yes indeed. Yes, earlier on in the show, I was playing some audio clips from the Oakland teachers' strike, and there are a lot of students oh, nice. out there who are supporting and chanting, and it's just its so beautiful to hear their voices.
10: Yes, and, and it, it speaks, I think, to there's a culture shift happening under our feet. And I, this year is shaping up to me to be a very profound one in this respect, like the, the mobilization happening out of labor. Mm-hmm is incredibly powerful you know i was on the picket line last year with ASME me workers on strike from ucsf yes uh medical center as well as unite here workers who are on strike from marriott and just in the last couple of weeks i've had an opportunity to support uh workers at the anchor union uh, anchor brewery and bar who are forming an anchor union mm-hmm. in uh, the ilwu as well as veterinary workers who are forming a new ilwu union. and now see the teachers striking uh you know down in l.a and then denver and now in oakland It is a very uh, interesting time in which we are living, and while in prior years, you know, I say that with the tongue-in-cheek sort of reference to the Chinese um, uh, sort of apocryphal piece of wisdom that in crisis is opportunity, and Mm. interesting times are complicated times. I I see in the interesting times of this year a great deal of opportunity emerging from those previous longstanding and still continuing crises, but I, I see we the people flexing our collective might in a way that, frankly, I have not seen uh, possibly in my life ever. I mean, I you know I was born in 1974. I'm an immigrant. My family came to the States when I was uh, two in 1976. Mm-hmm. I've never seen an era of this degree of mobilization under the Bush administration. The peace and justice movement was certainly very mobilized, and I was uh, all up in it. Um, and, you know, it was part of the movement that shut down the city of San Francisco for 36 hours. Mm-hmm. The David Bush invaded Iraq. and Helped shut down a Lockheed Martin facility for a day with 5,000 people Ooh, around the Bay Area. That
9: sounds cool. I would like to hear about that if you if you have the time.
10: Sure, yeah, totally. I'll tell you that story. It was, uh, it was um, well, and I'll finish the thought and then I'll dive into it. Oh, that. yes, please. But even despite those very compelling, assertive, widespread mobilizations, what we are witnessing today, I think, is of a different character because it's emerging through lots of different vectors, you know. If the peace and justice movement was a bunch of different people trying to stop a predictable travesty, what we are seeing today is a bunch of different people intersecting and working through all kinds of different channels to address a whole series of travesties. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing these ten-year-olds speaking truth to power outside their senator's office. Uh, While at the same time, you know, these workers across the city in different pockets are mobilizing, while at the same time, uh, people are mobilizing still to try to combat police violence and violations of immigrant rights. You know, it's a multi-headed, multi-front struggle and movement that I see emerging today, uh, which is one reason I'm I'm so inspired. Yeah. So you want to hear about the Lockheed shutdown? Oh, yes, please. All right. So uh, this really started in the fall of 2002. That was my second year in law school at Stanford. Uh, I got there in 2000. So, the very first thing that happened when I started studying what passes for law in this country was its formal abdication in the Bush versus Gore decision. Mm. Uh, You know, the first time the Supreme Court has basically taken unto itself the prerogative of choosing a president, which incidentally introduced a very dangerous circularity in the appointment process to the court that I dare say rendered an entire body of subsequent jurisprudence of questionable legitimacy. Uh, and I wrote actually 10 years ago a proposal for how to fix that, we can come back to that. But in any case, Bush versus Gore was the first thing that happened when I came to law school. The 9-11 attack for the following uh, fall. Mm. And in my third year, it was uh, in the fall of 2002 that the war drum started beating. And uh, it was, of all things, reading an article in the San Francisco Chronicle mm. that pointed me for the first time to a d- group called Direct Action to Stop the War. Mm which was hosting weekly spokes councils um, at a church here in San Francisco in the Tenderloin. So I started coming up from Palo Alto, uh, and we were organizing on campus a series of affinity groups that organized into a cluster that then executed a student strike in the spring. And early on in the in the spring of 2003, we identified a Lockheed Martin facility in Santa Clara County oh. as a local target that maybe we could... Mobilize opposition at, yes, and uh, after the shutdown of San Francisco on the day of the invasion, there were a whole series of major actions. There was one a week, practically, for about a month. We shut down the docks in Oakland twice, Mm -hmm. uh, and in between those two mobilizations, we'd scheduled uh, the shutdown of Lockheed Martin. So we put out the call, we organized through the spokes council, we recruited allies and affinity groups from across the Bay Area, and 5,000 people took the trek down to Santa Clara County and he blocked all the entrances to the Lockheed Martin campus. Uh, people locked down um, inside PVC pipes. One young man uh, who was very uh, active in the organizing phase, I believe at the time he was a student at uh, San Jose State, he uh, when the cops were drilling them out of the PVC pipes, they drilled into and through his hand Oh. And he ended up uh, passing out from blood loss, and then ultimately I ran into him several years later, and Ugh. come to find out that he went to the University of Kansas Medical School, essentially with his tuition paid by the County of Santa Clara. Huh. Uh, so you know, they're interesting, uh, wow. interesting stories. Or maybe the last story I'll tell you: one of the very first collaborators that I started working with on that campaign was a, uh, a grad student studying physics um, on loan to the Linear Accelerator at Stanford from UC Berkeley, where he was. Uh, in school, he's now a, uh, an astrophysicist, he's uh, very active in uh, the Indivisible Network, and he's uh, one of the very active volunteers on our campaign. Hmm. Um, so this opportunity to work together with people who I've uh, worked alongside uh, for now decades in some cases is, is, is what I'm excited by and uh, feel very grateful for.
9: Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow, thank you for sharing those stories with us. That's and it's also like the kind of stories that I think a lot of us don't necessarily hear because they're not picked up by the media for the most part, or if they are, it's very one-sided. So right. it's also just really inspiring just to hear about what's happened in the past.
10: I appreciate that, and it's it's tricky for me as someone running for office because, in the first instance, I'm much more interested in the issues than I am in myself. But I do have stories for weeks, you know. <laughs> Um, you know getting arrested in the Senate asking questions no one wanted to hear that was a story that I feel like is uh, an example of the kind of thing in that case I think a lot of people did see it but uh, the, the idea of um, stories encapsulating inspiring moments of resistance is what I hear you getting at and, yes yes and I, I have a lot of those to share uh, and I, my mind tends to go to the contemporary critique of the issues we need to address but I appreciate the invitation to mm-hmm. share some of these highlights
9: Yeah, definitely. So what are some ways that folks can, um, I know you've also put out the call for folks to um, gather and brainstorm together uh, with your campaign in terms of like talking about certain issues that people are working on. What are other ways that folks can can tune in?
10: So uh, folks can check out our social media platforms on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. We're at Shawhit for change on each of those uh, platforms. We also have a website, shahidforchange.us. It's still the 2018 site, where what what is uh, what I describe us as soon to announce publicly, it is the website that we're working on updating at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 2018 site is still up and it presents a fair depiction uh, of our platform. The big change will be the emphasis on a Green New Deal that will be uh, uh, more in front in, in 2020 uh, when we relaunch. Other ways to connect with us, we've been supporting, uh, I mentioned a couple of the different uh, labor mobilizations. One ongoing campaign that we've been very active in is sponsored by the National Nurses United and Our Revolution, uh, seeking uh, local support for Medicare for All. And so folks who want to support our campaign can plug into the underlying movements that we're supporting, so the nurses are one example. Democratic Socialist of America, DSA, here in San Francisco, has got a very, very strong chapter that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. uh, and we have monthly meetings with uh, working groups on more or less every issue uh, that might concern someone, housing, justice, um, uh, you know, climate, the full sort of range of, of issues confronting our community. Uh, so plugging into those networks uh, is one way of helping build the movement, um, and uh I'll be very eager to uh, to reconnect with. Oh, I should name a couple other organizations. The Bernie Kratz mm-hmm. endorsed us in the last cycle, and they also host monthly meetings that are open to the public. So I would invite people to check that out. Um, there are a bunch of other groups that endorse us, from the SF Tenants Union to the League of Fissed Off Voters. I'm not certain how open those groups' meetings are, uh, but you know, people who are interested in supporting the campaign uh, do so by helping support the underlying movements. You know, that's one of my uh, messages that I'm eager to repeat as often as I can. You know, We are active in pushing volunteers beyond our campaign into the frontline line organizations. Uh, that's among the things I learned from Bernie. Um, I'm eager to keep doing that.
9: Great. Well, thanks so much for, for calling in. Is there anything else you'd like to share?
10: Just that it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for the forum. Oh, uh, And uh, keep up the great work. Sounds good. You too, as well. OK, thanks. Right, thanks, for thanks, Shahid. Okay, peace. Take
9: care. Wow, oh, big thank you to Shahid for calling in. And again, I will read the website where folks can check out. It's uh, Shahid for Change, and that's S H A H I D F O R C H A N G E dot US. You can find more information there the issues, how to donate, how to volunteer, uh, press, lots more info, and also on our Facebook page, Facebook dot com forward slash weekly rev uh we've got a link to that site as well so we're going to take a bit of a music break i'll get back to finishing the article i was reading before from the examiner and then we'll be back with some more news stories for you all here here's another song uh, from yuna called falling and we'll be back in a bit so please do stay tuned i mm-hmm. Welcome back. That was Yuna with following. Thanks, Shirley, for that recommendation. Coming up, we've got the rest of the story I was reading before. It's from the examiner. And it's about the number of folks who are in house who have been who have died in the past few years. Um, so I'm gonna go back to uh let's see, I'm gonna go back a few paragraphs back so we can continue on. Uh Dina Lawn of the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium said she hoped the report would change the way the city prioritizes housing, citing a lack of coordination between our housing opportunities, which I know are very limited, and people's health status. Lawn said that those treating the homeless are frustrated that no matter how they evaluate the person's care, it doesn't seem to affect their ability to eventually get into some kind of housing situation. Fixing this, she said, will hopefully avoid some of the preventable deaths here. More than 50% of the deaths were the results of accidents, such as unintentional overdose, fall, drowning, being hit by a driver or exposure. Some 30% died of natural causes, 11% by murder, and 4% by suicide. The latest single cause of death was accidental overdose. Oh, excuse me, the largest single cause of death was accidental overdose at 35% based on the autopsy reports. Of those who died, 47% had methamphetamine in their system, followed by 47% with opioids. The city recently announced a task force to address methamphetamine use. Kelly Cutler, an organizer with the Coalition on Homelessness, helps put together the community's count for an annual homeless death memorial. That tally is higher since it counts those who may have been recently sheltered in supportive housing or single-room occupancy hotels, but were previously homeless. In 2017, for example, the coalition tallied 198 homeless deaths. "'It's a tragedy in a city, a country with such obscene wealth. People are literally dying on our streets,' Cutler said. "'I don't believe homelessness is viewed as the emergency and crisis that it is.'" She said the response should be much more like responses to earthquakes or fires." Zevin acknowledged the need to look at the deaths of the formerly homeless living in supportive housing and single-room occupancy hotels as well. We know from the medical examiner that there is a large number of deaths in those settings, and there may need to be responses that go beyond just people on the street, he said. To provide an official homeless death count, the Department of Public Health has long rallied... Oh, excuse me, has long relied on the homeless death forms that the medical examiner must fill out since the Board of Supervisors required it in June of 2005, but they only capture a limited number of cases when a person has no fixed address. In 2017, for example, the homeless death forms totaled just 63. So again, uh, this article came out um, from the San Francisco Examiner on February 21st, and was written by Joshua Sabatini. You can uh, check it out at the Examiner, which is at sfexaminer.com. And the the and on homelessness does a lot of really important work, so I recommend that folks check them out. And also, uh, for the folks who sell the street sheet, to um, to please. Uh, buy a street sheet from folks if you're able to. And also they're now accepting Venmo. I'm going to let me see if I can scroll down and find the info now. So if you don't have any cash on you, you can still buy a street sheet and support that paper. This might take me a moment as I scroll down to to find it. Hmm. Let's see here. This might take me just a moment as we are down, I forget the exact day that it was posted, but it's wanting to provide uh, information for folks as well. It's another way to, to support people. And coming up next, I will read the story about uh, how uh, more U.S. workers went on strike in 2018 than in any year in three decades. So that's from Democracy Now. And also uh, Vox also wrote an article about that. So here we go. From Street Sheet, which you can follow on Facebook as well. Don't carry cash? No problem. You can now buy Street Sheets from select vendors using Venmo. Simply pay at street-sheet and type the vendor's full name and ID number in the what what's it for field. I'm also going to share this link right now on our Facebook page so folks have a visual representation of it as well. If you want to copy and share it with your networks as well, uh, it's one one way to support people as well. So we've now shared that. Again, if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. Time for some plugs. Uh, Mutiny Radio. It's a great place. We have shows here every day of the week. There's a lot of great programming, original programming here. If you do music, comedy, news, politics, kids have a show, lots of great shows here. And if you're interested in doing a show of your own, there are spots available. So if you check out mutinyradio.fm, you can find an open slot and do a show here of your own. It just requires a little bit of training and you pay monthly dues and you get to have a show here of your own. We've got some equipment here for folks to use. Also, if you're interested in renting the space on a weekend or some certain nights, uh, you're welcome to do so as well. So feel free to email Pam, who's a station director here, and get in touch with her about renting the space. Also, we have the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through the 5th. Uh, For the full schedule, check out mutinyradio.fm. And next Friday on the show, I'll uh, be hosting a couple of comedians uh, who thought my show sounded like a cool one to be on, so we'll be meeting them for the first time and hearing what they have to say. So please do stay tuned for that. If you'd like to donate money directly to Mutiny Radio, we have a jar here that folks can donate to when you come in. Also, we can also donate online at mutinyradio.fm. And if you'd like to support this particular show, that'd be super helpful. If you go to patreon.com forward slash weeklyrev, W E E K L Y R E V. You can also donate on a monthly basis. A big thank you to all the folks who donate. It means a lot to me. It helps cover dues. So uh, it just, it's really means a lot to me. So thank you to all the folks out there who donate um, folks who listen, get the word out. I feel like there are so many different ways we can make the world a better place. And so many folks are already doing that. And there's, there is a lot of systemic things to fight against. And at the same time, there's a lot of folks doing really important work and sharing information, having really important important conversations and wanting to really enact the type of world we all deserve to live in. So sending lots of love and gratitude out there to all these, all the folks out there. Getting to one of uh, the articles I mentioned earlier, there's a couple different versions of it. This one comes from Vox, Vox.com. A record number of U.S. workers went on strike in 2018. Working class Americans haven't been this fed up with their employers since the 1980s. And I would imagine, I think a lot of us have been fed up for a long time. However, I think the way that we organize and show up, I think, is, is super important. And this was written by Alexia Fernandez-Campbell. Uh, and you can f- uh, follow her at, at Alexia Campbell on Twitter. And this came out on February 13th of this year Last year's labor unrest started with a teacher strike in West Virginia and ended with Marriott Work Marriott workers picketing across four states. A record number of U.S. workers went on strike or stopped working in 2018 because of labor disputes with employers, according to new data released Tuesday by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. A total of four hundred and eighty-five thousand employees were involved in major work stoppages last year, the highest number since 1986, when flight attendants, garbage collectors, and still workers walked off the job. The increasing number of workers involved in labor strikes suggests that average Americans are not experiencing the quote-unquote economic miracle that President Fuckface, my words, not the words in the article, uh, have descri- has described. They see the economy expanding and profits growing, but this doesn't extend to their paychecks. Frustrated public school teachers were behind the year's largest walkouts, but hotel housekeepers and steel workers also organized strikes that lasted for days. Working class Americans haven't been this fed up with their employers since the nineteen eighties. As this chart shows, and have a chart. Um, I will do my best to describe the chart to listeners out there. You can also check out the article at fox.com, and we've also, I believe, we've shared this on our weekly review webpage. If not, I'll share it again right now. So, so folks, if you are listening in, uh, as as I read, I then the chart is actually in the in the it's the photo included with the article, which is super helpful. I get frustrated. I get frustrated by certain lot of things. Okay, to be honest. One thing I get really frustrated by is if I share an article, and the article might be about a politician or about a policy, and the photo accompanying the article is a photo of said politician who makes my blood boil, and it's really frustrating to have to share this person's face over and over and over again. And so I appreciate it when there's graphs uh, and information like that that is included with the article. So if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev, also like us, it's... You know, click the like button. I post more articles on there than I get to on the show. So if you would like to stay up to date with certain news, like us on Facebook. Great. So this chart, which I'm going to do my best to describe, is annual work stoppages involving 1,000 or more workers from 1947 to 2018. Uh, Included are the number of work stoppages, the number of days idle, and the number of workers involved. On the vertical axis, it's the numbers going up to 3 million. Uh, down to zero, and on the horizontal axis, it's the year. So starting from 1947, and then every every seven or every ten years on the seven. So 47, 57, 67, etc., up to 2017. And we can see in the uh, 47 between 47 and 57, there are quite a few. A little bit lower between 67 and 77, but still quite a bit. And then really. Um, From 87 to 97, very few. uh, Even fewer from 97 to 2007. And then low from 2000 to 2017, and then there's a spike going back up. To be clear, in the article, it says. uh, To be clear, not all four, and also it's from the US Department of Labor are the folks who provided this chart. To be clear, not all 485,000 workers involved in the stoppages were on strike. That number includes people who couldn't work because employers temporarily shut down operations during the walkouts. It also includes lockouts in which an employer refuses to let workers do their jobs when they are involved in a contract dispute. But nearly all of the 20 major work stoppages in 2018 involved massive labor strikes, which ended up boosting wages for thousands of workers. And, excuse me, public school teachers fueled a lot of the resistance. Here are the four largest strikes of the year, based on workdays missed, and number of employees involved. All right, first we have the Arizona teacher strike. Arizona, excuse me, I'm a lot. Uh, maybe that's TMI. Probably not TMI. It's a human function. It's happening. I'm just letting the listeners know, it's, since I don't have a camera here and you can't see what's happening, that's what's happening. The Arizona teachers' strike. Arizona teachers organized the largest walkout of the year last April. About 81,000 teachers and school staff didn't work for six days, adding up to a total of 486,000 lost days of work, according to the new data. Teachers in the state were protesting low pay and cuts to public education funding. Like the teachers who went on strike in West Virginia and Oklahoma, teachers in Arizona are among the lowest paid in the country and have suffered some of the deepest cuts to public school funding, largely a result of steep Republican tax cuts that didn't bring the promised economic windfall. Nearly all of the state's 2,000 plus schools closed during the walkout. The state's teachers returned to class on May 4th, after the state legislature gave them a 20% salary raise over three years and some extra funding for public education. Teachers didn't get everything they wanted, though. They had asked legislators to raise business and income taxes on wealthy Arizonans to restore Arizonans to restore cuts to public education and boost anemic teacher salaries. Republicans gave in to some of the demands for more funding, but they're not paying for the salary hike with new taxes on the wealthy. Fuck them. That's my comment, not part of the article. Uh, Ugh, there's my... I sigh, I groan, it's necessary. Instead, the legislature passed a fee on motorists and shifted most of the cost of desegregating schools from the state to tax... Payers in low income school districts. Those levies will largely hit working and middle class households. Arizona teachers were inspired to go on strike after watching teachers in Oklahoma demand higher pay earlier that month. Next up, the Oklahoma teacher strike. Oklahoma educators organized the second largest strike of 2018 back in April. About 45,000 school teachers and staff refused to go to work for nine days, adding up to a total of 405,000 lost days of work. Oklahoma's teachers were rebelling against years of deep cuts to education that have left 20% of public schools on a four-day week schedule and average teacher salaries that rank 49th lowest in the country. Teachers in Oklahoma demanded $3.3 billion over the next three years for school funding, benefits, and pay raises for all public employees. Many state employees joined the strike as well. They rallied for days at the Capitol in Oklahoma City, prompting nearly half of the state's 500-plus school districts to shut down. The schools that closed serve about 75% of the state's students. Nine days later, the teachers' union returned to work. They got $479 million in extra school funding from state lawmakers, including raises, a fraction of what they wanted. <sighs> Next, the West Virginia teacher strike. Teachers in West Virginia launched the first major strike of the year in February. A total of 35,000 educators and school staff didn't go to work during the stoppage, adding up to a total of 318,600 lost work days. Teachers in the state hadn't gotten an across-the-board salary raise since 2014 and were among the lowest-paid teachers in the country. The average teacher salary in the state was $44,701 in 2016, according to the National Education Association, ranking West Virginia 48th in the nation in average teacher salaries. Lawmakers, both Democrats and Republicans, have been cutting corporate and business taxes for more than a decade. As a result, public schools have been losing millions of dollars each year in state money, which is the main source of funding for local schools, followed by local property taxes. The amount of money the state of West Virginia now spends on each student is 11.4% lower than it was before the economy tanked in 2008. So West Virginia teachers went on strike, shutting down all public schools in the state for nine days. The walkout ended after the governor and state leaders agreed to give teachers what they wanted, a 5% raise and a hold on increasing health insurance premiums. And finally, we have the Marriott workers' strike. The largest hotel strike in U.S. history happened back in October, when 6,000 Marriott employees in four states refused to go to work until the company agreed to give them a raise and increase their benefits. By the end of the two-month strike, a total of 215,900 workdays were lost. In December, about 2,500 striking hotel workers in San Francisco ratified a new contract with the hotel chain after months of tense negotiations, according to their labor union, Unite Here. It was the final deal reached during the stoppage, which had spread to 23 Marriott hotels in eight cities. Hotel housekeepers, bartenders, and other staff grew frustrated with Marriott over the summer after the labor contracts for about 12,000 workers started to expire. They were trying to negotiate better contracts to replace the five-year contracts that were ending, but progress was slow. By September, negotiations with the company had stalled and workers across the country voted to authorize a strike. On Labor Day, police arrested 75 Marriott employees for blocking the street as they protested outside the Westin St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. The strikes came at a time when the company was making record earnings. In recent years, Marriott International has grown into one of the largest and most profitable hotel chains in the world. After buying Starwood Hotels in 2016, the company now runs more than 6,500 properties, including the Ritz-Carlton, Sheraton, and Renaissance Hotels. The company is valued at about $49.4 billion, nearly double the value of Hilton, according to Forbes, and made $3.2 billion in profits in 2017 alone. The hotel chain's workers wanted a larger share of that revenue. They argued that servers and housekeepers' low wages, which vary by city, make it impossible to live in some of the nation's most expensive cities. They also asked the company to ease strenuous workloads that often lead to injuries and for more protection against sexual harassment and violence. The new union contracts vary by city, but in San Francisco, housekeepers got a $4 hourly raise for over the next four years. Right now, their median hourly wage is $23, according to the New York Times. Retiring employees will also get a small pension based on how many years they've worked at the company. Marriott also agreed to provide GPS-enabled panic buttons for housekeepers to alert security staff if a guest makes them feel unsafe while they're cleaning a room. The new contracts ended months of loud, heated protests outside of America's most iconic Marriott-owned hotels. The trend isn't slowing down. There are no signs of that. Worker angst has subsided. So far in 2019, teachers in two major cities have launched their own strikes. And I'm going to add three to that. Uh, In January, uh, Los Angeles uh, Public Schools public school teachers ended a strike that shut down the nation's second largest school district for more than a week as part of their deal with city officials teachers agreed to a six percent raise and slightly fewer students in each classroom according to alex caputo pearl president of united teachers los angeles a labor union that represents about 34,000 public school teachers nurses librarians and support staff in the city And more than 2,000 teachers in Denver are on strike right now. This was when the article was written. Now I believe the strike is over. Uh, Educators want the school district to overhaul the compensation system, which relies heavily on bonuses that fluctuate wildly from year to year. They also say... The, their base salaries are too low for Denver's high cost of living and aren't keeping up with pay in neighboring districts. They've pointed out that the district has way more administrators than other districts of similar size, which eats into the school budget. If 2018 is any indication, there's a good chance that these new strikes are just the beginning. And of course, as we heard earlier in the program today, also the Oakland teachers are, all, are all also on strikes. So They're sending lots of love and solidarity to them as well. Whew. I'm going to take a break. And rest my voice for a moment. When we come back, we'll have some more news for you. And here we have uh, another song from Yuna, Live Your Life. We'll be back in a little bit, so please do stay tuned. You're listening to Mutiny Radio.
11: something amazing it's almost like I've been stargazing the sky is right above me we were meant for something bigger than this don't ever try to dismiss yourself cause you don't have to so far away And now it's like they're here to stay I hold it close to me Oh We oh, oh, We're meant for something bigger than this Don't ever try to dismiss yourself cause you don't have to
9: Weekly review. Uh, there's another song from Tongue. You can check them out at bandcamp. Uh, Tongue, T-U-N-N-G. bandcamp.com. This is from the album Songs You Make at Night. Thanks to Stefan for uh, sharing that album. I uh, hadn't heard it before. Uh, we've got a couple more things before we wrap up the show. Coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val, starting at 2 p.m., followed by the Common Thread Collective at 3 p.m., lots of great shows here at Mutiny Radio, so please do come on by. We've got open doors here, so come on, check us out. Another story here, <sighs> deep sigh, that's from Democracy Now!, we've also seen it reported in a lot of other outlets. A white supremacist Coast Guard a lieutenant had his quote-unquote hit list of Democratic targets. This came out on February twenty first in Maryland. An active duty Coast Guard lieutenant will appear in court today. Again, this is from the twenty first. Uh, after being arrested last Friday, after federal investigators discovered, or excuse me, uncovered a domestic terror plot to kill high profile liberal figures, including Democratic lawmakers, media personalities, and judges. 49-year-old Christopher Paul Hassan, a self-described white nationalist, reportedly had a stockpile of 15 guns and more than 1,000 rounds of ammunition. His hit list included House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, civil rights pioneer Angela Davis, freshman Congress members Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, uh, MSNBC host Chris Hayes, and Democratic presidential hopefuls Senators uh, Kristen Gillibrand, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, and Kamala Harris, among others, Hassan had was reportedly inspired by the far-right Norwegian terrorist Anders Breivik, ugh, who in 2011 killed 77 people in a bomb attack and a mass shooting. In a draft email obtained by prosecutors, Hassan wrote, "I am ugh, I'm not even going to fucking read his gross ass fucking words, but fuck him and fuck white supremacists." Oh, fucking disgusting! And there's also uh, there's many active duty members. I think it's important for folks to remember that these are folks who are quote unquote uh, in the. Are just, it's it's super fucking disturbing, and also just recognizing that, and it's a lot to get into. If we talk about the militarization, this country's militarization, who's serving in the military, and what the military does and there are folks like this with these beliefs who are and this is just one of them so it's important to get the of course these you know these news stories don't make as much headway as some other news stories that you know have a lot of other clickbait to do so it's important to get that out there and again this article is from a democracy now and a few other news sources have also reported it meanwhile lots of anti-fascists have been able to get white supremacists fired from their jobs so that's something else that's another way of you know moving forward with fighting back against these folks (sighs) initially i wanted to end on something positive um i do have a audio clip um folks from code pink um who often uh and they disrupt these meetings, uh, talk about disrupting the military industrial complex. Uh, So Ariel Gold and Medea Benjamin are two of the folks from Code Pink who often do this. So they have tweeted. You can follow them at Code Pink, just at C-O-D-E-P-I-N-K, Code Pink. I'm going to play a little bit of audio. It's a little under two minutes. Um, From them disrupting uh, Carlos Vecchio, uh, illegitimate Venezuelan, quote unquote, President Juan Guaido's envoy to the U.S. The U.S. is facilitating a coup that may very well lead to a civil war. We say no coup, no civil war, no imperialism. Hashtag hands off Venezuela. We'll hear this uh, clip. We'll play some music and then we'll we'll wrap up the show. So uh, here we go.
12: I want to say these people are fraud. They don't represent the Venezuelan people. They are representing the U.S. Or-
9: ah. Sorry about that. We've got a little bit of technical difficulties here. For some reason, it's...
12: Uh, coup. This is a very dangerous situation. They want to create a crisis at the border that would be a justification for U.S. intervention. This has nothing to do with a humanitarian situation. Indeed, for a humanitarian situation, the U.S. would lift the economic sanctions that have exacerbated the crisis. The issue at the border now is something that is politicizing humanitarian aid. That is why the Red Cross, the United Nations, and all the legitimate humanitarian groups have insisted that they will not touch this aid. What we need now is negotiations. These people here want to take Venezuela to a path of civil war and US intervention. What the Venezuelan people need is negotiations mediated by Mexico, I'm almost finished, mediated by Mexico, by the Uruguayans, and by the Vatican. So let's say that if you indeed care about the people of Venezuela, you will be calling for negotiations. You will not recognize these people who are willing pawns in a Trump-orchestrated coup d'etat. Thank you for listening to the Voice of Reason. Gracias.
9: All right. So that, were, that was uh, Medea Benjamin okay. speaking from uh, Code Pink. Thank you. You can follow them at I mean, Code you, you
2: Pink on Twitter. Grateful fine. for
9: all the folks who speak truth to power. You know, that's going to okay. that's gonna do it for the show today. can play one more song. And coming up next at 2 p.m. is Women's Magazine with Global Val. see lots of guests here in the studio. So looking forward to hearing this program. Stay tuned at uh, Mutiny Radio and one more song from the band Tongue. And, uh, yes, uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for all the folks out there for listening and thanks for all you do in the world.
0: or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat.
1: <laughs> Asiento. Asiento. Take a seat at Asiento on Twenty First and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink. Have delicious tapas and a relaxed community atmosphere.
2: for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. at radio.fm It's a great place to listen to crazy things.